This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. It's time for bookings. Kia ora. welcome to Bookends with Maureen Rout and Ruth Judge. Poetry today? Yes, indeed. I have a new collection from Canterbury poet Joanna Preston. And I have the uh, fifth collection from Anne Kennedy, who um, recently won the Prime Minister's Award. Anne Kennedy is the author of three novels, a novella, four books of poetry, and many anthologised short stories. Her first book of poetry, Sing Song, was named Poetry Book of the Year at the 2004 Montana New Zealand Book Awards. And then in 2013, she won New Zealand Post Book Award for Poetry with Darling North. And Mothar was a poetry finalist at the 2020 Ockham New Zealand Book Awards. And so you go on, Anne. Um, and just the last week, last two weeks, you won the Prime Minister's Award for Literary Awards in Poetry for the year after, um, I mean, every book I pick up of yours and going back to our short stories, short stories that you, wonderful short stories you wrote and your novella and your novels, um, you've just gone from one strength to another. <laughs> Congratulations. Oh, thank you, Ruth. Thanks, and thanks for having me on. It's just lovely to be on the show. Oh, it's wonderful. Yes, great to, to talk to you. It's a <laughs> long time, long time since we talked. No, it's been a while, so it's great to be here. Thank you. Um, so the, uh, yes, new... I'm feeling overwhelmed, actually, and I'm very, very lucky. Um, I'm still reeling in shock. Well, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. I don't think you're lucky at all. I think you've deserved everything at that, st- and um, you know, accept it, uh, because you are an, uh, one of our st- outstanding poets in New Zealand. And this well, one, yeah, no, this new you. one. Of- but also, um, I, I just want to say, like, I think we're lucky that we have state funding for the arts in Aotearoa, because not every country has it. So, you know, I just feel lucky I live here as well. That's right. I'm yep, sure. Yeah. Well, the sea walks into a wall. Great title for your new collection, and and you've chosen a few extracts or shorter poems because there's shorter poems in this, and there's longer ones, and they're always um, so intelligent and playful and witty and innovative. Um, that's what I love love when I open one of your books. So, what are we going to have first? Um. I'm going to start with a poem called What Fell, which was written for my son, Timoeta. Um, so this is a poem that I wrote quite a few years ago when we were living in Honolulu. My kids sort of grew up there mostly. Um, and like being, like being on that side of the Pacific sort of gave me a really different sort of regard for our region um, in a way that I hadn't really thought of coming from Aotearoa and spending most of my life here. So... In a way, this book, um, you know, like many years on, kind of responds to this um, association with the sea that somehow I was confronted with in Hawaii. Um, uh, perhaps I should have had that happen here, and maybe I was blind to it or deaf to it, but somehow being there sort of opened up my ideas about living in the Pacific. Um, so this poem, What Fell, uh, came about after our, our children like arriving in Hawaii, and it was coming into fall, and they hadn't heard that word before. They called it fall autumn. And, that, and my son said, what 
what falls, what's falling. And actually it's nothing, you know, because it's the Pacific. <laughs> so that's where this poem came from, What Fell for Temuera. It was fall in the tropics, or what they call fall. Nothing fell. Every leaf, a last leaf, painted onto a wall. Memories settled gently onto the array of islands. Learning American as a second language, the boy asked, what falls? Well, mist falls onto the hills of Honolulu. Rain falls. Fumes fall on downtown. The pens of the students at the elementary land on the page each morning. Their hands fall onto their hearts in allegiance to the flag. The school day flutters slowly downwards towards home time. Planes fly in from L.A. bringing everything. The sun sinks quickly below the horizon, leaving a green lip like a muscle. The hip bee shot fell into the boy's arm. Ouch! The rising inflection of sentences was inverted to become a falling. Once, people from the continent of America fell, fell down into the Pacific, bringing their prized sicknesses out and their homesickness for fall. And in their agony, they called nothing falling fall, even though the leaves fell gently throughout the year without fuss or comment. Of course, there was the fall, which is perhaps what they really couldn't live without. And going right back, that time the sun exploded and the fallout created the solar system, its stars and planets, and the animals on the land and the fish in the sea and the thoughts in our head and the living and the dead rising and falling. And Kate Kennedy, reading from her new collection, The Sea Walks Into a Wall. That poem's very relevant, as are all the poems um, in this collection, to what's happening today, aren't they? You know, with um, I'm sort of listening in to what's happening in Glasgow and wondering um, how much we will do it um, for climate change and the difference between countries who are much closer to the sea and how it affects them, and how, you know, it's so different, isn't it? It is, yes. You're right. Like, fingers crossed that some of the the um, resolutions that have come out of that conference are actually acted on. I mean, that's the thing. That, yes. You know, they yes. keep doing this. They keep, like, keep having talking. conferences. And, <laughs> yes. Yeah, but we actually have to do something, especially in Aotearoa, about our woeful emissions problem. So, I'm, you know, and, and this book is you know, partly geared towards, you know, what's happening on the planet, which, aside from all the other issues we have at the moment, is the issue, you know, because it's about our survival and, you know, we want our our mokos to have a good world to live in. So, So this book is very much sort of geared towards thoughts about ecology and it's kind of interesting as a, like, as an artist or writer um, engaging with the planet, um, Sometimes, I think like a lot of people, I sort of ask myself, like, why, why do this? What use is this? Um, why even write this? I sort of end up saying to myself, I can't not do it. And what else can I do apart from, you know, put my recycling out at the gate and sign petitions? This, this is what I can do. And I, I do think that discussion, rhetoric, art is important to the, ba- to the sort of debate and it all contributes, at least that's what I hope.
I hope so too. And I, th- I think it is, um, well, from my point of view, I, I think it's very um, direct in poetry too, more than in, um, you know, wider writing of um, that becomes a bit wordy sometimes. But when you're writing poetry and you've done, been so successful at doing it, um, um, you must have changed quite a lot, having that, it was quite a long time you stayed in Hawaii, wasn't it? Um, ten years, mm. which is, you know, a decent amount of time. <laughs> yes, it seems a long yeah. time. Yes. Mm. So um, you also, um, you write about Island Bay in one of your longer poems, mm. and I was re- mm. in, really interested because when I was teaching in Wellington long ago, um, I lived out there and um, loved it. <laughs> oh, beautiful. I grew up there. Mm. And my heart is still there. Yes. It's so, so beautiful. <laughs> so let's have another reading. Um, okay. Well, so, so bouncing off that, um, I'll read um, a, I'm going to read just a wee section from the title poem in the book, The Sea Walks Into a Wall. Um, and that, so this is a longer poem with little sections. Um, and I guess the, what I was sort of trying to do with this poem is talk about the, um, just how, how complicated it is to have these sort of post-industrial kind of structures dotted about the landscape that you probably didn't need in the first place, but we love them. So, um, so this, was, this poem sort of bounced off the, um, the fact that the island Bay sea wall was destroyed in a big storm in 2013, and I wasn't in Island Bay, and I was, I forget where I was, but I was really distraught. I thought, oh, that wall, we just love that wall. Um, but then sort of, um, and they repaired it, but there was a whole sort of council debate about it, whether they shouldn't repair it because it's just going to get trashed again because of what's happened to the planet. And actually, they're right, you know. So, so I felt like in the end, it sent me down this path of thinking about these things that we we love, like our fridges and things, but they're just bad for the planet. And what are we to do? Anyway, so this is from The Sea Walks Into a Wall, Act 6. You go down there and you, old sea wall, new sea wall. Old sea wall was a statue of a wall. It was warm and gritty. The air is rough and blue. Old sea wall was so blood and guts. It was tender, it was stone. It trembled with salt and light. The wall was the gateway to the sea. The wall was so grey. All night and all day, it kept storms at bay. On the beach, always an aftermath of a wedding, frost and a mess of ribbon and glass, a runway for lost souls returning, a regret. Tongue it all is like butter in the sun today. I love the wall. I pummel the wall. My hands are on the wall. Grey, post-industrial wall. In the next storm, the sea will take the wall back into its real-time, moving, shining thing. My heart is like a wall, struck down in a storm. You didn't even need that wall at all. Anne Kennedy with her new collection, The Sea Walks Into a Wall, and I would highly recommend it. It's published by Auckland University Press. Really good to talk to you, Anne. Thank you for those two readings. They were just great. Thank you.
Thank you so much, Ruth. You're listening to Bookends on Plains FM 96.9. Classical gas. How does the sky pick its colour? The summer dad bought his guitar, the colour lifted from three hydrangeas growing where grandma emptied the chamber pot each morning. Cicadas strumming in the crepe myrtle, their shed skins like twists of cellophane still clinging to the bark. The summer I came down hard on the edge of the veranda, gouged a perfect plectrum of bone from my shin. I didn't fall, I flew. The hydrangeas reached out and caught me, held me in the fretwork of their flowers. It was the silky oak that bled. It was a satin bird that shrieked. The veranda lay silent, listening to Dad pluck his way through the heat. That was Canterbury poet Joanna Preston reading from her new collection of poetry, Tumble. Joanna's well known here for her poetry, for her teaching, um, for many skills, being heavily involved in the poetry scene here. And she's had, this is her second collection, her first collection, The Summer King, went on to win the 2010 Mary Gilmore Award uh, for the best poetry collection by an Australian author, even though she is now partly partly New Zealand. Um, And she's edited a number of, of poetry anthologies, as well as being poetry editor for Takahe. You have a busy life as a poet, Joanna, don't you? (laughs) Uh, I do, I do. I keep thinking I must get a life. They look like very useful things, although I do sometimes feel like I'm already living three. Well, that's a good way to be. (laughs) (laughs) But clearly you, you make time for poetry because you've amassed a good number of poems, um, some of in, enough for a third collection, I believe. Um, I'm about halfway to the third, my, my third collection. Hopefully, it's um, the original manuscript for this collection was um, very, very politely um, sent back to me by Otago, who said, "We like it, but there's too much. You need to make it simpler." And um, so, yes, I, I eventually got around to hacking and slashing, and uh, yeah. So that must be actually quite a quite a good process in in a sense because you have to really hone down and yeah and decide what this collection's going to look like and sound like yes um it took me about a year to get around to it i it had i'd put off putting the collection together in the first place for so long and then i it's it's remarkably tiring to do you have to sort of look at everything and think about all of the possible permutations of poems. And so um, I think I got my I got the, the manuscript sent back just before we all went into lockdown. And like most people who thought they were going to be immensely productive in lockdown, I mostly just sort of spent time um, curled up in the fetal position, rocking myself backwards and forwards and going, the world is ending again. Um, but I did, I, I did eventually get around to it. And actually I was... Um, prodded vigorously by James Norcliffe and David Howard, who both had a hand in helping me um, see my way through it properly and, and see it clearly, which without those two, I, it would probably still be on my to-do and really soon list. I don't know, because I've actually never asked poets before, but I was just thinking, do you, do you have a, a sort of your own personal name for the collection. I know it's called Tumble, but do you, and and your first one was called the Summer King. But do you have a sort of 
personal way of describing them that that maybe brings out the themes or the... I hope so. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, part of the reason I've called it Tumble is, um, well, it takes it from the, the last poem in the collection, um, but the idea of not so much just falling. I mean, you think about what tumble means. It's Yes, it's falling catastrophically, but it's also things like a tumbling past, which brings people like Simone Biles. There's nothing, nothing wimpy or damaged or in any way weak about that. And then there's also tumbling into bed because there's plenty of sex in the book because apparently I'm, I write about sex whether I want to write about sex or not. Um, and also the idea of tumbling to something, coming to learn, you know, stumbling into knowledge and suddenly yeah, becoming wiser on the other end. So once I got that idea for the title, when I, I managed to, to work out that's what it was about, that's what the poems were cohering into, that, that made it much easier. Yeah, and I guess um, I guess that makes you think when you're looking at a at a at a large <laughs> clump of poems. Yeah. Well, that that won't work with this, and this one definitely will. Well, I yeah. you know I chose that poem without even sort of giving for you to read, um, without giving much thought to the fact that it that it is you stumbling and tumbling, yeah. isn't it? Yep, very much so. <laughs> Into the hydrangeas. <laughs> And onto the veranda. Yes. yes, exactly, with a permanent scar to remind you. Yes. Yeah, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of, I'm trying to think what the right way of describing it is, but a lot of your um, poems have a kind of supernatural feel to them, a magic <laughs> feel to them, or uh, yeah. a hint that Myth goes making. back to mm. olden times, as yeah. we used to call them. I love stories. I love myths. Um and I love playing around the edges of them. So things like uh, Lucifer, which is one of the early poems, um, it actually came out of an exercise I'd given to my students where you take a, um, take a word or a phrase and look at the, the derivation of it. And I'd come across a reference to tortoise being a reference to, um, I think, a Greek word meaning lord of the underworld or of just of the underworld, I think. And for some reason that just clicked in my head and I saw um, Lucifer as a tortoise in Las Vegas um, and that turned into its own entire new sort of spin on the mythology around the fallen angel and around the ideas of sin and redemption, which, again, was a lot of fun. It's, mythology is um, such a useful, a useful tool for any writer. Um, I guess my poems are halfway to being stories anyway. I tend to think in terms of stories. So playing with them and exploring aspects of being human, looking at different myths, is always a lot of fun. You teach um, a lot of the Canterbury poets. Yeah. You take workshops. And um, so I guess you end up benefiting from, from those classes as well. Because, <laughs> That's yeah. what I, that is my story, and I'm sticking to it. Um, yeah, I, teaching, teaching is a different energy to, to um, creating for myself. But, it, it, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun helping Watching other people suddenly click to what you're talking about and finding their way into poems. Um, and, yeah, it can be really, really inspiring. Occasionally very depressing when you see somebody sit down and in 20 minutes come up with a poem that would have taken me a couple of weeks. But, you know, sort of hope it, the, the osmosis of talent goes in both directions, I hope. Yeah, and you must have to um, trial out some of, the, some of the ideas you have on yourself yeah. to a certain extent. You're talking about... You know the the poem, the Lucifer poem, yeah. and and you 
basically doing the same exercise that you've yeah. set your, I, I, your I pupils. Will, if I can, I do the exercises with people in class, um, and that's useful. But I these days my writing is so much slower. I take a long time to sort of have the, the, the words come onto the page. I'm hopeful that that's because most of the work is going on in my head at the semi-subconscious level. Um, yeah, it's it's... It is, a, it is a different energy, but yes, teaching keeps me involved with poetry on times when maybe I'm not able to write, and that's useful, I think. Um, I'm thinking about it, I'm talking about it, and there is nothing like being in front of a room of people who really do not give, have any respect for you as a poet um, to be able to make you reach deep to explain things and to try and get people enthusiastic. Um, and I have a great group of people who, who regularly come to my classes now some superbly talented poets. And yes, so you're, you're among equals in yeah. a sense, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're both reaching for the same things. Yes, yeah. and that's wonderful. It's, there's nothing better than being in a room full of people who are passionate about the thing you're passionate about. And reading? Do you do a lot of reading of poetry? I do, I do. I actually read um, at the Canterbury Poets Collective uh, a month ago, which was a lot of fun. Again, it's in these COVID times, readings are one of the things that have been put on the back burner. Um, the book was is sort of the, the official launch of Tumble has been sort of held over until we uh, either come into level one so people can actually mingle again properly or until we everyone gets their heads around what the new normal this time is going to be. Um, so, yeah, I do. I love reading. I do enjoy the performance aspect of it. And these po- most of these poems are really, really good and fun to read. Yeah, I always love hearing people read their own work because it, the reading gives you a, a new slant into the poem yeah. and it leaves you with the poet's voice in your head. Hopefully in a good way and not in a bad way. Yeah, well, usually. <laughs> very... There's been very few occasions when I've wished I didn't hear that person read. A sort of benign haunting, really. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm very hopeful that um, the time will come when Tumble can have its proper launch, Joanna. That will be good. And um, it's out there in the world now, so people can go and look for it. And you're going to read us a poem to finish. I am. I'm going to finish with the uh, the, the last poem that, that went into the book. Um, it's actually a poem I wrote last year, which is quite bizarre. Um, and, oh, gosh, it's a, it's a form I invented um, on the fly as I was doing it, which was, again, quite strange. I don't normally do that, but it was a lot of fun. Um, So yes, I'll finish off with Galanthus in Rain. Soft rain bends the necks of winter flowers, penitents in white veils and green blouses, meek beneath the copper beech that towers like a magistrate, and all my powers of persuasion cannot alter how this grim gallows verdict falls. You are now hers, shapeless as salt water, thirty hours since you left. Who knew we were such cowards? Good wine set aside until it sours. The house fills with rain, and I allow this. Thank you, Joanna. Joanna Preston was reading from her latest collection of poetry called Tumble, which is published by Otago University Press. And join us, Moran Rout and Ruth Todd, next Tuesday on Bookends on Plains FM 96.9.